Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Monday, November 26, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. He's at home in Connecticut. I'm in New York City. Deadleg, can you, you see that right there? You see that? That's Manhattan behind me. Trivia time. Trivia time. Do you recognize that building right behind me? And I apologize to people who aren't watching this on YouTube because this doesn't make any sense. You no, see that's that? just, yeah, well, I, first of all, if you aren't watching on YouTube, please do so. Thank you to all our viewers. We are going live soon, as in, like, when the show goes live, you're going to watch it live. Uh, yeah, I believe that is the CBS Broadcast Center behind you. That's an incorrect answer. Whoever <laughs> is out there on Reddit logging these, make sure you've got that down as a loss for dead leg. That, that building right there, that's a little place they call the Ed Sullivan Theater. Oh, we're talking about the black building, not the uh, what looks to be an apartment building directly at your, at your 12 o'clock or your 6 o'clock, I should say. What you think is an apartment building is a little thing they call the Ed Sullivan Theater. Trivia time. What's the other building behind you? <laughs> I don't it's have a Starbucks. It's a Starbucks. That's the Starbucks I go to every morning. <laughs> that, that like 70 floors. I think it's a little more than a Starbucks, but uh, the main floor might be the might be the star. Be one hell of a Starbucks if that if that black building behind you was. It's a 70-story Starbucks. Incredible Wi-Fi from the bottom to the top. That's a little place they call the Ed Sullivan Theater. That's where the Beatles uh uh first first performed in the United States. Also, this is uh, Nearly uh, as common knowledge, um, it is where Elvis Presley had his second national television performance three weeks after withdrawing from UMass Lowell. That is not that's that hasn't gotten quite as much pub over the years as uh, as the Beatles and the British invasion happening back in what year? Trivia time. What year? Oh God! Uh, look at Ooh. you. See. Not Hold on, I'm thinking my, my my hands, my little bitty hands are right here. I'm not cheating. Beatles, Ed Sullivan Theater. I'm gonna say it was this is awful. It's 68. 60. Oh my god. My man, they were recording Abbey Road practically in 68. Oh no. They 61. 63. 61, they were people... playing the pubs in Liverpool. 63 okay. was when. They came over and they were on uh, American television for the first time. So it is wild. And I promise we're about to talk basketball. I swear to God we are. It's wild how the Beatles entire thing is pretty compressed. It all happened fairly quickly. That's right. They were a group for less than a decade. And yet they're the most influential and arguably important band in the history of popular music. But yes, they uh, they formed shortly after the 60s began and then basically broke up right as the 60s ended. So uh, 63. There we go. Hey, Purdue looked awesome. <laughs> that was the story of the weekend. Matt Painter's Boilermakers. They beat North Carolina on Saturday, 93-84. And, you know, we're up around double digits from, for much of the, 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 the final 10 minutes or so of the game. Um, on Sunday, they beat Villanova 80-74. So Purdue beat the 2017 national champions and the 2018 national champions on back-to-back days. Different players, but same programs. It's not bad. Dad, like you saw them in person on Saturday. How good are you feeling about picking Purdue to win the national championship? Nobody's laughing at you anymore. <sighs> Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan in 1964. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was off by a year, too. They were 64. I had to, I had to double-check. I was totally vamping off the top <laughs> of my head. Uh, how about Purdue? So, yeah, I was there Saturday. wasn't there Sunday. Uh, Sunday was a uh, six-year-old birthday party and me getting just horrendously angry with the Chicago Bears. Uh, but I will digress no more. Hey, look at Nada giving a shout to the column on the uh, on the YouTube stream. I appreciate that. Extremely impressive. I mean, over the course of both 
games both days there. Purdue, see, that's the, the I'm glad we're starting on Purdue uh, in earnest here with, with hoops because they are the story coming out of the college basketball weekend. The way that they looked in both those games in the game against Villanova, which I kind of had going parallel to me uh, tracking my horrendous bears. Purdue finished 11 of 11. For, I saw 11 11 from the field, 10 of 11 from the foul line. Uh, against a good Villanova team that had actually had some success defensively leading up to that. In fact, Villanova, quick aside on them, they blew double-digit leads in the second half of both of their losses. Now, they're both really good teams, could both be Final Four teams at UCLA, and then on the neutral against Purdue. I think that speaks to their lack of depth. I talked with Jay Wright about that. I'll have more on that on the site probably next week. Uh, Villanova's an intriguing team, but they're not deep, and it actually could pose a big-picture issue with them down the road. But give credit to Purdue because they've got so many different kinds of weapons, right? Uh, You've got a team that has two bigs that kind of sub in for each other, just tag-teaming. Zach Eady starts, Travion Williams finishes, um, Jaden Ivey. I don't want to say like he had his coming out party because a lot of the nation wasn't watching. And if you follow college basketball and you're an absolute diehard, you saw what he did over the summer playing for team USA. So he was fantastic there, but for the college basketball fan that doesn't watch any basketball in the summer uh, and really didn't see much of Ivy too much last season as a freshman, he was obviously fantastic. The column that I have up uh, at cbsports.com, it kind of leads on this three play sequence in which he got a couple of rebounds, brought the ball up the floor, made a couple of incredible passes. This was after Carolina takes the lead for the first time the entire game. And then the third possession, uh, he doesn't get the board, but he's kind of trailing and flaring. And then he takes it to the hoop after he gets a pass, I think from Thompson, and he draws a foul, gets the end one. It was an awesome moment in the arena. Fantastic. Purdue winds up. That's that's basically the kill shot. There was more. Trevon Williams kind of finished the job, if you will, and I go into that in the column as well because – Painter told me Travion Williams, it's, he's never had a player like him perish. He's just not good at starting games. Uh, you know, first couple of minutes, it takes him a while, but he's never had a player who's been kind of like, so eh, to start a game and the, uh, in Painter's words, the best player in college basketball, you know, in the second half of the second half. And Travion certainly showed that on Saturday was great. Again, on uh, on Sunday, the players combined for Williams and Edie. I think they had 59 points. Uh, Williams had 29 points in 33 minutes total over the weekend. Incredible. Purdue clocked in at about 1.25 points per possession between both games, which is if you're above 1.2, you're really cruising there. So uh, credit to them. And I know you bumped them up in the top 25 and one. And come on now. They're, you know, my point is they might be the best offensive team in the nation. Defensively, they got a ways to go. But any uh, any doubts about uh, you know how lethal this team can be on offense? I think we're uh, we're put to bed. Not a not a not a perfect team, but I I, I just love how diverse they. are. I haven't even got to Sasha Stefanovic, who's shooting like fifty percent from three this season. So, what were your takeaways uh, as you watch from afar? Yeah, yeah. I, I watched both games um, on television. Um, almost was almost uh, late for an appointment on Sunday afternoon. Uh, because uh, my wife is like, we have to leave. And I'm like, uh, we will leave when this game is over. Just uh, hang tight. Um, but I didn't want to walk away from either one because they were super impressive. Um, on Jaden Ivey, we had talked about him in the offseason. You know, he had started popping up on NBA mock drafts as a likely first-round pick, possible lottery pick. And one of the points I'd made is like, listen, I see all this stuff other people see, but – He hasn't been a great player yet. He wasn't a great player last year. He's an interesting prospect, but he's not a great player. You know, he only shot 25.8% from last season. He's a great player now. I mean, he he was awesome this weekend, and he's now averaging 15.6.7.2 rebounds, 4.6 assists. And it's not just that he is awesome. I, I hope this makes sense. He looks awesome. Like, he looks the part. Like, when he's in transition, he looks fast, athletic. He looks big. Like, I don't know how it comes across uh, in person, but on television, yeah. when he's out in transition, he looks big getting down the court. Long strides, like, really moves well. And I I was – I don't want to say I was blown away by him because I I know what he's capable of. I Like, I've, again, I've seen it. But I was super impressed by him, 
Uh, he has made the jump from interesting prospect to great player. That seems pretty clear. And then I'll give you credit on this, Zach Eady. You've been on that one for a while in ways that, you know, frankly, did you know, like, so, so Purdue's other center is going to be awesome and the second best player on the team. I think that's the way you described him. Yeah. And he might be the best player on the team. Like he is, he is starting in front of Trevion Williams, which means Purdue's got clearly the best two centers in college basketball. Um, he's averaging 17.2 minutes in 19.2 minutes per game. Like he and Trevion Williams are basically splitting time in the middle. Edie starts, Williams comes off the bench, 17.2 points in 19.2 minutes per game. That's absurd. And, you know, He's from for people who may not be familiar, which I would imagine is most casual college basketball fans at least. He's from Toronto, played at IMG. He's a sophomore. Do you know what he was ranked in the class of 2020? Uh, I don't know what he was ranked, but I do know this because I talked with Painter after about this. Um, like he backed up Mark Williams at IMG. He didn't get a lot of playing time. He when he got to IMG, he didn't even make like the A team or the B team. Like he was He's played organized basketball like a little more than four and a half years at this point. So I'm going to blindly guess Zach Ediets. Let's say he entered college at seven two and has grown. Maybe he was seven four when he when he uh, committed. But I'm going to say he was three twelve. I have no idea though. Four hundred fortieth. Amazing. It is amazing. And like you know, it's one thing. Like I remember Gordon Hayward was uh, like a zero star recruit coming out of high school, and he gets to Butler and it's clear quickly he's a you know a possible nba player so it's like how did that happen and the answer to how did that happen is that he didn't play au basketball if i remember correctly he was a tennis player and mm -hmm. so he spent his summers playing tennis he didn't play on the circuit if people don't see you on the circuit then people don't see you this dude was at img academy now i know he didn't play much but he's still at img academy like there were eyeballs on him it's a little bit like when doug mcdermott was barely you know, was rated really low coming out of high school. And it was like, he, um, you know, he was teammates with Harrison Barnes. Like everybody saw him and nobody thought he was good enough to do what he did. Like that's originally why he was going, I think to Northern Iowa. Cause at dad, the time his dad coached Northern Iowa. Yes. No, 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 no. His, no? dad coached, his dad coached Iowa State at That's the time. Right. And he went to Northern Iowa. and then <laughs> He was going to go to Northern Iowa because they didn't think he was good enough to play at Iowa State. They didn't think he was going to be a Big 12 player. And then his dad ends up at Creighton. So it's like, okay, now we're in the NBC. You can play in the NBC. And then he becomes like Big East player of the year when they move around again. It's a little bit like that. Like he would, there were eyeballs on him. Just, just people just missed. And I, like, I'm not blaming anybody for missing. I just thought, I, I, I knew. I looked this up this morning. I was like, where? I don't remember anybody talking about him coming out of high school. Where was he ranked? And it was like 440. I was like, what? 440? I didn't even know they go all the way to 440. But but he's awesome. And sort of what I wrote in Saturday, uh, Sunday morning's top 25 and one, when I jumped him, I jumped him pretty good after the, uh, the Saturday win. Because I was like, listen, I was just wrong about them. You know, we talked about in the preseason. I was like, that's the one team that I think – I got, I might have too low. Like I can acknowledge it up front. I might have them too low. And I jumped them on Sunday morning. And one of the points I made is like, they check every box. They've got a great coach. They've got multiple possible future NBA players. Cause Jay Nivey is going to play in that league. Zach Eady might. They've got shooting. They've got depth. They've got dominant front court uh, player. Like what the, they check every box. Like this is a real national championship contender. And and it, it, you know, if if Matt Painter goes to his first final four and wins the whole thing at the same time, like it, that's that's on the table right now. It is. Uh I'll wrap with this. You mentioned how uh there are a ton of NBA scouts in the building, obviously Saturday and Sunday. Um I don't know the exact number, but it, it had to have been at least 25, right? So um talked with a few on hand and Jaden Ivey is just like He's going to have to try really hard to fall out of the top 10 at this point. Uh, he is like, at this stage, he's like if you added 17% to John Morant's like, figure. Like, he's that kind of presence, fearless. Actually, and weirdly enough, John Morant wound up tweeting about Ivy. I don't know if you saw that or yeah, not. Yeah, well, well, do you know the connection? His mother, who is now the head women's coach at Notre Dame, right, was on the Grizzlies staff. 
she um she was a Notre Dame assistant. The the I believe a Notre Dame assistant at the time. The Grizzlies hired her. She was on staff with the Grizzlies. I like that's that's how I got to know her a little bit. You know, she's been on my radio show and stuff. And then she got the head coaching job at Notre Dame. But that's the connection between Ja and Jaden. Jaden's mom used to coach Ja Morant. That's pretty cool. And you see, actually, just I happened. It's weird because I happened to think about this connection when I was watching Ivy in person. Uh, when I say 17 percent, it's like just a little bit bigger, stronger, uh, doesn't quite have the burst that Morant had. And I don't know if he's going to be the number two pick in the draft or whatever, but just a an awesome player to watch play in person. That's the thing about Purdue. Like they, I don't think any other team has this like on a given night. It could be Ivy. Who's like, that is the dude. That's the guy. That's the best player. It could be Edie. Cause you just like, sometimes you watch Zach Edie play. And it's just like, like I, this is what I thought was going to be Villanova's issue. They just did too little, too little. I mean, everyone's too little with Edie, but they really were too little. Like sometimes they just kind of dump it in. And Edie's just like, uh, okay, two points. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? So he can be a relentless force, and he's getting better. That's the thing, man. He is – I was told the strides he's made in a year are scary. Like, if he keeps on this pace, look out. And then Travion Williams, who has a phenomenal attitude. We talked about it last week on the podcast. We don't need to rehash, and we should move on in a second here. But, like, he, he simply – if it bothers him coming off the bench, he ain't showing it. And it doesn't certainly doesn't seem like that. And people in the program aren't even remotely hinting at it because he's on the floor when it matters most at the end of the game. He works the post beautifully, has a great feel, is a killer closer. It can be any three of those guys. Oh, then, by the way, Stefanovic, 48.6% from three-point range at this point. Brandon Newman's 44%. Isaiah Thompson, 55% from three. They just have – you said they check every box. Offensively, that's the deal. They just do. They've got depth, experience, size, athleticism. They've got it all. Uh, I, you know, for people listening, they're like, are these dudes talking about the Purdue Boilermakers? <laughs> yeah. And like Painter's had, I had in the story and I brought it up to him after. I think he's had four teams finish top 10 in Ken Palm since he's been there. This would be the fifth. It probably will be the fifth. Uh, right now, the Boilermakers are third in Ken Palm. They've never finished better than I think fifth or sixth. So this could be his best team offensively. I just think it's the scariest one yet. So they are the big winner coming out of the weekend. So, Norlando also saw North Carolina in person this weekend, four, four days after I did. Is he concerned about the Tar Heels? We're going to discuss UNC next. But first, let me tell you about Butcher Box. You know what's great? High-quality meat. You know what isn't? Anything less. It just doesn't taste the same. And that's because when it comes to meat, quality matters. And when you invest in high-quality meat from Butcher Box, the benefits go way beyond a great-tasting meal. There's nothing I enjoy better than a tremendous steak straight from the grill. But here's the truth. My local meat market is not conveniently located near my home. I spent years driving out of my way, but not anymore. And that's my favorite thing about ButcherBox, how convenient it can be. Every month, ButcherBox is going to ship a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home. Each box contains between 8 to 14 pounds of meat, depending on your box type. And that's enough for 24 individual meals. Everything is packed fresh, shipped frozen for your convenience, and it allows you to save time on your next trip to the grocery store, and it's always free shipping in the continental United States. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members free New York strips for a year. That sounds amazing. Take advantage of it. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ioncollege to sign up. That's butcherbox.com slash E-Y-E. O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E, -E. the search for high-quality meat ends here. So, Dead Lake, North Carolina had a rough weekend. Lost to Purdue by 9 on Saturday. Lost to Tennessee by 17 on Sunday. So, they're now 3-2. and two. I got them out of the top 25 and 1. They're down to 55th at Kempom. You saw them in person on Saturday. You concerned about them? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. And I watched even a decent portion of, uh, of their loss on Sunday as well here at UNC right now, as we speak on Monday morning, allowing 83.8 points per game. And then they're rebounding. They're tied for 144th best in the nation. Uh, this is just per game, uh, 38.4 per game. You can look right now on YouTube and you can see Nada has brought up, uh, UNC's Ken Palm page. And so they got, see, here's the deal. They got a scare from Brown, withstood it. 
you saw him in person against Charleston on the road and withstood it. They just, you know, okay, they were at the mercy of Purdue, which could prove to be a top two, top three team in the country on a neutral. Okay, fair enough. The Tennessee one. Now, I thought Tennessee was going to be able to come back. I thought Tennessee was going to win this game. I didn't think it went it the way it did. I mean, they didn't have Josiah Jordan James, who was held out um, because of illness. And Kennedy Chandler wound up playing uh, beautifully. I mean, they had Tennessee had a really nice bounce back performance. And if you're a Vols fan, that's exactly what you want to see. But if you're Carolina, a little bit of an uh-oh. But, I mean, can they fix defensively what they need to fix? Because they're not going to go – they're not going to play the bigs. Hubert's probably not going to play the bigs the way that Roy Williams did. But in doing that, might they be a worse defensive team? And does this team have the capability to do what Purdue's going to do? Try and outscore dudes. Try and crack 90 more nights than not. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Baycott looks better. RJ Davis, RJ Davis is the player. I've seen Carolina play four times this season. And the guy who seems most reliable is a guy that very few people were talking about. It's not leaky black. All due respect to leaky. I also did not, by the way, no selfie with leaky. It's hard to, hard to, he's evasive. And then you lose. It's not an easy, it's not an easy ask. So, um, so that's your, your B, my B didn't make it happen. Evades us. Uh, but yeah, Defensively, I do have questions about Carolina, and I don't know how much of this is fixable. Um, they have an interesting ceiling. I, I think this is a quality team. Don't want to overreact too much. We're just five games into the season. But two teams came out of the weekend with a 3-2 and two record. Villanova, uh, but Villanova lost once because its other loss was at UCLA. So yeah, I'm not worried about Villanova at all. I'm a little worried about Villanova because of their lack of depth. Only, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I, you're not worried at all about Villanova? All. look at me look at my face do i look worried <laughs> I am looking at you. i'm not worried about villanova at all they're gonna be like 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 whatever your concerns might be about villanova might be the thing that prevents them from winning jay's third national title there's nothing that's going to prevent them from being really really good and and hanging around the top 10 of the sport all season i don't think mm-hmm Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I will say this. Carolina has averaged allowed 88 points the past four games. Teams are shooting extremely well from beyond the arc against them. Uh, I think, what was it? Purdue and Tennessee shot 44% from three, and they were better than 55% from the field. There are defensively, there are issues. So yes, I have more concerns about Carolina, but I didn't think Carolina was going to be as good as Villanova heading into the season. Uh, We'll see how they bounce back. I did talk to Hubert after the Saturday loss and asked him. I basically asked him, you know, at this point, not knowing what was going to obviously happen on Sunday, you've had these games against quality teams and you've had two and you'll have your third away from home uh, for you in this spot as a head coach. And with this team and these pieces, is this a, is this a benefit? A lot of coaches will say it is a benefit, but with where you are right now, uh, do you think it will actually wind up paying off, you know, at some point down the road, be it two weeks, four weeks, two months or whatever, and he said, venue doesn't actually mean anything to me at this point. It's the teams we're playing, and, and I think so. But he then went into a little bit of a, of a monologue on how, how far they had to go defensively. And it was just interesting to look, reflect back on that comment and then see just how much they did not have it at all on Sunday against Tennessee. That was troublesome. And whereas the Tar Heels were ranked going into the season, you just cannot make the case with all due respect to Seth Davis, who still made the case and put him in his top 25. I'd have you pull attack him if that was still a thing you did, but it is mm-hmm. not. Uh, you cannot make the case that North Carolina is a top 25 team right now. No, the record's not there and the computer numbers aren't there. Like sometimes you can, like Michigan, you mentioned teams that are three and two. Michigan's three and two. And uh, we'll get to them. But if you wanted to keep Michigan ranked, you could. Because I've got Seton Hall ranked now, and I've got Arizona ranked now. So if you wanted to keep Michigan in there, you'd say, okay, the only two losses are to teams I have in the top 20, and they've still got strong computer numbers. I'm going to continue to rank Michigan. I didn't. I dropped them out. But I think they're still sixth at Ken Palm. There's no case that can be made for North Carolina right now. I mean, they struggle with Brown, struggle with Charleston, lost to Purdue, got blown out by Tennessee, and they're like 55th at Ken Palm now. Like, there's no case to make for North Carolina right now. Like, their projected Kempom record at this moment is 17 and 14 overall, 10 and 10 
in the ACC. And there's a lot of troubling numbers there. The most obvious one, the one that gets talked about a lot, is they're 131st in adjusted defensive efficiency. They cannot stop anybody from scoring. And um, this was true. I, I guess Charleston didn't shoot a great percentage, but Charleston scored a lot of points on them. But I'll give credit to Steve Lapis, uh, the former Villanova coach who worked the game with me in Charleston. And this was pregame. He was like, this could get tricky for them because they don't stop anybody. Like, you know, Lap had watched, you know, in prep because he was the color analyst, had watched, you know, everything that had happened up to that moment. He was like, they just they do not guard at all. And that is showing up in the numbers. So that's the most obvious thing people reference. The less obvious thing that I've heard other people mention, but it's like a real thing. Do you see their offensive rebounding percentage? Uh, I didn't. It's 25.1, which ranks 254th nationally. This is North Carolina. They are usually, if not the best offensive rebounding team in America, one of the best offensive rebounding teams in America. Like last year, offensive rebounding percentage, according to Kimbaum, 40.9, number one in the country. They've been top 20 in that court category eight straight seasons. Right now, 254th. And that is a direct byproduct of Hubert um, deciding that he wants to emphasize shooting over playing two traditional bigs. Like he wants shooting and he wants spacing. And that's why it's either Dawson Garcia or Brady Manick playing the four because they're fours that can step away and, and take shots. I looked this up um, the other day. Last year, Garrison Brooks played the most minutes at the four for North Carolina. They were playing two traditional bigs, Baycott in the middle, Garrison Brooks at the four. He took, I think, eight threes all season. Before Saturday, I haven't updated it. I got just writing a Hubert Davis column for Saturday morning. Um, Brady Manning was averaging five threes a game. Last year's four took eight all season. It's a wild difference up in approach. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's very different. And one of the things they give up is offensive rebounding. And it's funny because on, I guess, last Tuesday morning, we had a Zoom call with Hubert um, for about 15 minutes or so. And we, you know, Lap actually asked him, like, are you willing to sacrifice some of the offensive rebounding, um, you know, for shooting? The implication being, because that's what you're doing. And, and Hubert was like, no, 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 no. We want to lead the nation in offensive rebounding, but we also want to have shooting. So I'm not making any excuses for my guys or allowing them to have excuses. We still have to crash the offensive glass, but they're not doing it. Um, this is as bad as they've ever been. In that, and that, like you said, it's very early, but they're, they're good offensively. They're not elite they're terrible defensively, and they're not getting second-chance opportunities the way they normally do. There's enough talent to get it turned around. Like, I like the roster if you just look at the roster. But right now, they're not a very good team. The Tar Heels have UNC Asheville next, and then they have Michigan on December 1st in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Speaking of Michigan... Speaking of Michigan, um, I guess if we agree that Purdue had the best weekend, um, we could maybe agree that Tommy Lloyd's Arizona Wildcats might be the runner-up in that category. They beat the American Athletic Conference champs, Wichita State, and then the reigning Big Ten champs, those Michigan Wolverines, on back-to-back days. We'll get into Arizona's hot start, Michigan's slow start. We're going to do that next, but first, Check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads, Make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? 
Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account. Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So Purdue had the best weekend. Tommy Lloyd's Arizona Wildcats probably had the second best weekend. Like I said, they beat the uh, reigning AAC champs on one day, beat the reigning Big Ten champs on the next. I moved them up to 15th in Monday morning's top 25 and one. Uh, that, do you think uh, the former Arizona players who were so offended that the school went out and hired Tommy Lloyd, Gonzaga, says, do you think they're starting to come around now? Because that Arizona team looks pretty good. They look really good. So yeah, let's let's start uh, let's start with Wildcast before we briefly touch on Michigan because there's a there's a comment or two we need to to make about the Wolverines. Yeah, it's been a wonderful start. Arizona, I thought they I had them mm, top thirty. I can't remember exactly. I want to say like 28, 29. So I thought they'd be good. They look better at this stage <laughs> than I thought. But again, some of it was Michigan with just lack of defense around the rim was frightening. Um, Benedict Matherin at sixteen. Uh, Christian Coloco, who had the best game maybe of his life, he was just borderline unstoppable. He only had 22. If you watch that game, it felt like he scored 35. If you see the quotes from him, they were really good. His mother uh, from Cameroon had flown it. She flew in first time she's ever seen him play at Arizona, I guess. And uh, he said she doesn't really know anything about about basketball. He said he was talking to her and she said, you, you, you guys are missing. You and your teammates are missing a lot of goals. And she, he said, "Mom, those are free throws. We call those free throws." <laughs> so it was just a sweet little, a sweet awesome. little thing. And Arizona, one point one three points per possession. So they they missed some, but they were they were over a, a point uh, per possession. So they were shooting well. Uh, Julius Tabellis had a couple of really big plays. He wound up with thirteen. And yeah, Arizona wins the Roman main event. By the way, we're going to talk about Feast Week when we were at the pod here in a minute. But I thought the weekend was was awesome in terms of you had teams winning some MTEs and a nice way to really ease into uh, the Thanksgiving week here. But yeah, good stuff. Where did you say you had Zona in your rankings now? I moved them up to 15th. Yeah. You know, I think they're right around 20th or so at Ken Palm. But like, you know, I've got Seton Hall somewhere in there. Um, and they destroyed, they, you know, Seton Hall edge Michigan. Now at Michigan, that's a different deal. But uh, they look great. I, you know, they they, they they started the season 40. This is to me, this is interesting. They started 47th at Ken Palm and like 13 days into the season, they're up to 20. They've moved up 27 spots. That suggests that they're really performing um, at an elite level. They shot 50 percent uh, against Michigan, which is, again, now three and two. Oh, and by the way, like Arizona wasn't bad last season. No, um, you know, they finished 29th at Ken Palm. They just. We didn't talk about them or pay that much attention to them because they were on a postseason ban. Yep. Um, but they were that's a good basketball team last season. Now it's different pieces in some places, obviously different coach, but uh they they looked the part. Michigan doesn't really look the part. Three and two. You know, they didn't take their second loss of the season last season until March 2nd. Wow. And they've got their second loss 13 days into this season. And there's a lot of issues, I guess. I mean, nothing to freak out about. Like, they might still win the Big Ten. But, you know, um, Hunter Dickinson was, like, not the best big on the floor uh, Sunday night. Uh, and Caleb Houston has been nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he had six points, two turnovers against Arizona. He's now four of 25. Four of 25 in Michigan's past three games. For people who don't know, he's a five-star freshman reclassified. He's only averaging 7.8 points, three-point rebounds. He's shooting 3.0 rebounds, shooting 31% from the field and just 23.1% from three. So you look around the country and there are some freshmen who are have to off to phenomenal starts, most notably Jalen Duran, who is leading Memphis in points, rebounds, and blocks per game. He's leading the nation 
in blocks per game, which means he's on track to go down as the littlest man ever to lead college basketball in blocks per game. So that's something to keep an eye on. He's been great. Um, other freshmen have been excellent in other places. Caleb Houston, and he's not just five-star freshman. He's five-star freshman projected lottery pick. He hasn't been very good so far. Now, Musa Diabate was not uh, good against Arizona. He had four points. Uh, Devontae Jones actually has been pretty solid overall, but he was a non-factor there. And just, I got to imagine the film review, if that's happening on Monday with Michigan of this game, it's just, just going to be brutal. They, th- there were so many lapses for that team. Arizona had... I don't have their points in the paint number here. They they scored. I'm going to guess they had 80. I'm going to guess they had minimum 45 points within six, seven feet of the bucket there. They had so many opportunities to score close to the rim there. It was pretty surprising. Uh, it, I, you know, it almost looked like <laughs> Michigan might have enjoyed Vegas a little too much away from the court, not suggesting that directly, but it was just one of those deals where it's like one of these teams clearly looks prepared and was ready to go, and Michigan, no. It was it was a non-factor there. So uh, there are a couple of teams of note here, preseason ranked, that are already starting off with uh, with two losses. Michigan at three and two. Nova we mentioned at three and two. UNC at three and two. Those were I, I believe those are the only three preseason top twenty-five teams that are uh, that are sitting with two losses at this stage of the season. But credit to Arizona, definitely looks quality. They actually and they had defeated. Wichita State late on Friday night. I watched that game as well. Tyson Etienne was awesome. That was a wonderful game. It's one of those deals where, like, if they don't if they don't get past it, Arizona, and then Wichita State moves on. Maybe Michigan handles Wichita State. It's a different conversation altogether. But that's not how it went down. Uh, Wichita State, by the way, they you know we talk about Memphis and the American and all that. They still look that that looks like a good team. So they should be. They were able to handle UNLV late on Sunday to uh, to get out of there decently out of the Roman made event. But yeah, Arizona's. If Purdue was the biggest winner, Arizona to me was the second biggest winner coming out of the weekend uh, across college basketball. Can I run down some other uh, some other things to know here? Please do. Okay, so you had MTE winners: Purdue, Arizona, Bonnies. Where you got the Bonnies ranked? Let I me. Mean, I can look real quick. Um, not high enough for Woj, I'm sure, but I do have them for uh, me. For you, um, I've got them 21st. They look like they look better than Arizona at this point. Now I know the competition wasn't quite as good, but I watched the Marquette game almost the. I, I basically turned it off with three minutes to go. They whipped them. They whipped them. It was not competitive, not competitive. So good job. They Bonaventure wins its MTE and kind of validates its preseason standing. They they are experienced. They are fun as hell. And that is an undefeated team right now that's certainly playing like a top 20 team in America, maybe top 15. And then I'll give some love to Utah State, which was able to win its MTE. And uh, it got past Oklahoma. And doing so, Ryan Odom, previous UMBC coach, that's a new coach. And that was a matchup of two coaches in new spots. Oklahoma obviously has Porter Moser. Uh, Utah State clearly had the best player on the floor, Justin Bean who should have been on our preseason top 101 players list. He was not. That was a swing and a miss by us. He is off to an incredible start and looks like the best player in the league so far. So those are the big MTE winners. I got to give a shout to Colgate. Beat Syracuse for the first time since 1962. In- incredible. At the dome. It was, just, it was just right before the Beatles were right, right back there. Right back there. That's, that's a little place they call the Ed Sullivan Theater. Exactly. I was I was off by a mere couple of months. It was February of '64. I thought it was late. I honestly thought it was like November '63. I thought we were we were scooting up on it. So I was off by a couple of months. Uh, so apologies to anyone that knew that at the start of the podcast. Are like, what is this idiot saying? My B. But yeah, Colgate. That was one of those games that forever. It was just Colgate was the team. Whenever you wanted to criticize Syracuse's non-conference scheduling tendencies and Jim Beheim, it was like they play Colgate every single season. They were the team. Well. Hell, now look at that. Matt Langle has, and remember, Colgate was the team also last season since the Patriot League didn't play non-conference games. It was in the top 15 of the net the entire season. Actually, it showed itself well in the postseason, even though it didn't advance. Uh, but yes, it's uh, a streak of, what, 54 straight losses. 
uh, for Colgate is finally over. It's the second longest in the history of men's D1 college basketball. Um, or maybe the longest, I guess UCLA, ca- I, it's, it's officially the second longest because the NCAA did not consider some of those wins, Syracuse wins in retrospect because of the vacated, you know, however many games Bayheim got vacated. So officially, it's the second longest. Technically, the way the universe actually happened and continues to happen, Syracuse over Colgate is the longest such streak. But per the NCAA record book, trivia time. Hmm. I don't know if you'll get this. I will. I will get this. Okay. It was tweeted about, so you might get it. According to the NCAA, which doesn't acknowledge a couple of these Syracuse wins, and so therefore it's not officially the longest streak with Syracuse and Colgate. What's the longest such streak for consecutive wins, one team versus another in men's D1 history? One team over another men's Division I history. I'll give you a hint. You want a hint? Yes, I want a hint. One of the coaches involved in this is the second best coach in the history of his school. Oh, wow. So it's UCLA mm-hmm. over. Which school do you think it is? Clearly UC Santa Barbara. No. <laughs> How are you going to do the gauchos like that, man? Over Cal. Every single year from 1961 to 1985, UCLA knocked off Cal. That's the, so that's officially the longest one. The 50 yeah, yeah, that's the pre-Mark Fox era that should be noted. Correct. It won't happen again. That's the pre, 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 pre Mark Fox era. Uh, there is one active streak that is currently sits third, and that is Gonzaga has won against Pepperdine 41 streak. <laughs> counting, dating back to 2002. Man, I wouldn't play anybody anymore. They beat me 41 consecutive times. I'd just be like, we're done with this. We're changing leagues if we have to. I, yeah, but, that's the thing. They're obligated to do it unless they're going to try and get out of that league. They should move to the Big Ten. They sh- you know what? We might be able to swap. You want to put Michigan in the WCC? And, yes. Uh, yes. It's time to put Michigan in the WCC, take Pepperdine, put them in the Big Ten, see if we can't get this Gavit games a little, little more balanced. That's correct. Uh, but yes, credit to Colgate. Dropped 100 on Syracuse, won 185. To do that, in that, to end the streak in that kind of style, Syracuse was by no means projected to be, you know, top 30 good this year or whatever. But still, maybe, you know, maybe they will ultimately be a bubble team yet again. But that was just, that was awesome to see. Uh, and that's the kind of win that if you play for Colgate, like you're talking about it 30, 40 years down the road, really, really cool. I do want to give a shout out to... Uh, to uh, a Donald Foyle. Well, yeah, we can give a shout out to O'Donnell Foyle if you, if you give feel. one. Then go ahead. I would like for you to do it. Let's give a shout out to O'Donnell Foyle, who, <laughs> if you are, if people are like, "What is happening?" He played for Colgate back in the day. That's why. But I'm going to give another he shout. Like, out. He is like the Terry Teagle of Colgate. No, he's better. By the way, I, I got a, I got a letter from a, a, a listener, the podcast, Dan. Shout Hold on. Dan. Did you get a? Did you get a letter or did like, you get an email? No, a literally a letter. Okay, so people have found your address. Good to know. It was it was mailed to my radio studio. Okay. And I opened it, and I read the letter, and do you know what he wanted me to do? I swear to God, this is true. I did it. I, I, put, I put it in the mail. Um, autograph a Terry Teagle card. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. He sent you a Terry a t- Teagle card. Yes. When he's with the Lakers, I'm guessing? I can't remember. I I don't remember How exactly. Do you not what... remember? And then you signed it with yeah, your Gary, name. Yeah, Gary Parrish. I autographed Gary Parrish on a Terry Teagle basketball card. Sent it back to Dan. Ridiculous. <laughs> That's a true story. Okay, Dan. Uh, way to go, Dan. <laughs> it's absurd. Okay, I was going to give a shout to Kenny Womack. Who's Kenny Womack, GP? Uh, he is... Um, uh, the drummer for Big and Rich. <laughs> no. I love how you pulled that out of nowhere, though. Uh, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Womack. Kenny Womack is the rare player who uh, suits up and plays both Division One, although the levels aren't exactly the same, uh, men's basketball and football. So Kenny Womack caught three passes for nice 69 yards. Oh, wow. And had a touchdown catch in the NEC championship game for Sacred Heart. And then he was dressed and on the bench in time for the men's basketball game on Saturday night at eight o'clock. 
didn't get into the game, unfortunately. Sacred Heart, Sacred Heart lost. Are you, are you, you really just wanted to talk about somebody who literally didn't play basketball this weekend? It's my local flavor here. It's <laughs> okay. it's Fairfield Sacred Heart, the two closest Division One schools to where I live. Just you think Duke Carolina is rough, intense. You don't even understand what's happening on the streets of Fairfield County in the hours leading up to a Sacred Heart Fairfield game. Okay, you don't understand. Kenny Womack. I don't know how many players actually play Division One football and basketball these days. He might be the only one. Maybe there's some dude at Montana State pulling double duty as well. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out there. So Kenny Womack. He's no, he's no Terry Teagle. Um, let's talk about the games that are upcoming here. Continue with the notes. Seton Hall plays Ohio State on Monday. Not a Gavit game. Not a Gavit game. Big Ten versus. Thank Big God for Ohio State. My, you've been walking into one. There's another team that's struggling a little bit. That's correct. This is a six o'clock tip. If you're getting to the podcast early, you got plenty of time. Just a heads up. That's an FS1 game on Monday. But yes, we are now in what they refer to as Feast Week here. So um, that's a non-major uh, tournament, if you will. Still, you know, it's it's happened at, of course, Suncoast Credit Union Arena in Fort Myers, Florida. Fort Myers of tip off. But we also have the start of the Maui tournament, which is in Las Vegas. Why is it in Las Vegas? Well, last year was in Asheville. Two reasons. One, Hawaii, I still think, has the strictest COVID protocols of any state in the country. And two, I was told that basically if you went to the if you went to Maui and you had a situation where someone tested positive, you know, the quarantine situation, vaccinated or not, on that island is is a severe logistical headache so they made the decision to put it in vegas and it's one of the weaker fields we've had to be honest here's the schedule um if you're getting in early you'll have AM versus wisconsin at 2 eastern butler versus houston at 4 30 oregon versus chaminade poor chaminade can't even get uh, some home court advantage here that's a nine o'clock and then the best game of the quarterfinals is saint mary's richmond on monday at 11 30 so I didn't have time to look this up beforehand, but AM Wisconsin, Butler, Houston, Oregon, Chaminade, St. Mary's, Notre Dame. It's the first time in a long time, and maybe I'm off. Maybe this happened three years ago, six years ago, but I can't remember the last time there wasn't a school in a Maui field that is a blue blood. Big time program, a Duke, a Carolina. Kentucky never plays in it, but a Michigan State, just a school, you know, you know, you know, the, the seven, eight, nine schools I'm talking about, they usually get one of them. And I think that's because this field got organized in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. And also for being honest about it, uh, this is a prestigious event to play in. But as you've you've been there, Parrish, and you well know, uh, it can mess up the way your like first two, three weeks of the season are with travel and kind of booking games around with all that. So. If you go and play, you get legit opponents. It helps your resume. There's a lot of benefits, but coaches will kind of tell you, you know, privately, if you will, it's like, yeah, but like, you know, the week after that, like we're just trying to finals are coming around the bend. So I'm not surprised. I Maui should be back in Maui next year. Hopefully I don't want it to go away and I don't think it'll go away, but it's not a surprise when you really consider all the factors, why this year's field just, it, it, it is an elite field. Bahamas starts later in the week. We'll talk about it on the Wednesday podcast. Maui is a distant second to what the battle for Atlantis is this season. It, it cannot go away. They got to, they got to take that thing back to Maui. Like that is one of the great um, early season events in the history of college basketball, like that gym. And I, I don't even mean like, uh, I mean, I, it needs to be in that gym forever. Cause it's so recognizable. You know what it looks like. I, I went a few years ago when Gonzaga and Duke played in the title game. That was the Zion year. Um, it's an awesome trip to make and an awesome venue, an awesome place to watch basketball. I will tell you, it's a, it's, I don't want to say it's a hard trip, but like you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, and you're just wide awake. Like, I, you're like looking I, like Harris is looking right now for watch on YouTube. It's like, oh. I mean, you're just awake, you know, like, it's like, okay, the sun's about to come up. I guess I'll go for, like, I went for a walk at the break of, uh, at sunrise. I went for a walk because you're just awake, you know, and I went, uh, I went for a walk. I was like, man, I'll probably be the only person out here. I went outside. Everybody was out there. <laughs> Everybody was awake. I remember I saw John Shire walking with his wife and it was like, it was like, it's like 630 in the morning and everybody's like, yeah on with it because you it takes a little while to get adjusted so it is um 
like I understand when coaches say, especially coaches who work on the East Coast, because then it's like, I mean, you got to get all the way to LA, land, and then you got to fly to another five hours. It's a hard; it, it can take a toll on your team. I under, I love that event. I understand when coaches say it's not worth do all the travel to get those games. It'll mess you up. Um, it's not worth it. I get that. But it's got to continue. It's one of the great things about college basketball in the first few weeks of the season. Let's get it back to Maui in that gym uh, next year and for the next 100 years going forward. We will talk about whatever goes down in that tournament on Wednesday uh, for sure. And we'll see what happens between here and then. I'll take Houston to win to win the tournament. Uh, before we get to, obviously, the huge game on Tuesday, I do want to give a quick shout to a good mid-major matchup happening on Monday South Dakota State versus Nevada. That's 74 versus 78 in Ken Palm. And that's at the Pentagon in South Dakota. If you're like, which one is that one? It's the one with all the lines all over the floor. No court in America has more lines on its its court uh, than the Pentagon. Nevada has to win. Nevada is a team that can win the Mountain West. It's got to win this game who wants any shot at having at large profile. It's one and three with losses to San Diego, Santa Clara, San Francisco. Cannot lose to South Dakota. If you're a mid-major honk, that's one to look out for. But in the final five, six minutes, we obviously got to talk about the huge game on Tuesday night. This will no doubt lead our Wednesday podcast, and that is Gonzaga versus UCLA. Number one versus number two in Las Vegas. I am not anticipating that Gonzaga will lose to Central Michigan and UCLA will lose to Bellarmine. Those teams play uh, those games on Monday. This is technically a four-team MTE before Gonzaga versus UCLA happens on Tuesday uh, I will have a story up later on Monday about the history of number one versus number two. A couple quick facts and we can get some GP thoughts on this. This is the 43rd all-time meeting, regular season or postseason, between a number one versus number two team. The poll dates back to the late 1940s. So we actually get one versus two somewhat frequently in men's college basketball. We were supposed to have one last year. Gonzaga versus Baylor got canceled literally like two hours before tip because of uh, a few pauses in Gonzaga's program. So we never wound up getting that game. This is Gonzaga. So still technically it's first game as a number one team in a one versus two matchup. UCLA has not been involved in one of these since the mid 1970s, but this will be the 10th time UCLA plays in a one versus two, which means UCLA will have been involved in a one, two game more than any other program in history, breaking a tie at nine apiece with the Kentucky Wildcats credit, obviously to few and McCronin for making sure this happens. It is a, humongous rematch of one of the best NCAA tournament games in history with one of the most famous shots in NCAA tournament history and college basketball history with Suggs 37 footer 9390 win an OT you know the story uh that's phenomenal and awesome and I love it now the number two team is 13 and 11 in regular season matchups in the history of this uh one versus two although the number one ranked team leads the overall series the previous 42 matchups at a uh narrow 22 to 20 margin what are your thoughts on this game what are your expectations we can make a a pick for fun won't add it to the official tally here but i just love bottom line to harp on a point we made last week i love the fact that you have coaches unafraid to do this gonzaga and ucla were not scheduled to play each other six months ago mark few and mick cronin were determined to make it happen there was a whole bunch of drama behind the scenes with event organizers that I won't bore our listeners with, but there were basically put it this way. There were, there were obstacles in place that could have made it extremely easy for Gonzaga and UCLA to say, nah, we're good. Thanks. And they worked through a ton to make sure this game happened when a lot of other coaches, frankly, probably would have bailed immediately. So credit to Cronin and few for doing this and giving college basketball uh, an awesome, awesome game Uh, by the way, outside of, Bahamas, Maui, any other MTE. This is technically an MTE, but it's it's kind of its own standalone deal and is the highlight of the week. Gonzaga versus UCLA will be tipping off on Tuesday night, and that is going to be a 10 p.m. Eastern tip on ESPN. Thoughts, GP? Yeah, I mean, listen, I love it. My only, uh, the only thing that would make me love it more is if Gonzaga and UCLA signed a, you know, a, a two-year home and home. Mm-hmm. And, and this one was being played at the kennel, and next day they do it, at Poly Pavilion, like I, college basketball in home arenas slash on campus, is is the best version of college basketball we get, and I I don't love that we've gotten so far away from that, and all of these, not all, but lots of these high profile matchups are played in neutral courts because neutral courts don't always provide the best atmospheres. Now I'm imagining that 
you know, because of the proximity to Vegas for these two schools, you know, it's not hard to get there for either one of these fan bases. I imagine the arena is going to be popping and it's going to be awesome. Um, so like, I can't wait, but I, you know, yeah, it's, it's such a minor complaint, but I, I wish these types of things happened on campus. It, 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 a, because of the environment it creates, because no matter what that arena is like in Vegas, it's not going to be like the kennel would be and not going to be like Polly would be under these circumstances. Um, I, 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 I prefer on campus stuff. And I also think it's a nice reward for your season ticket holders who are paying incredible amounts of money, um, donations for the rights to buy great seats. And then you take um, high profile games and you, you put them, you know, somewhere other than your home arena. It's a flaw with the sport, a small one, perhaps, but, but, but still one that I wish we could get away from a little bit. And I think maybe it was Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. Some coach made this point. It was yeah, Willard. Yes. Yeah. That we need to start doing more of these on campuses. Like let's, let's, you come to my place. I'll come to your place the way we used to do it. Um, you know, basketball at this level is a big business. And so financial, um, uh, you know, the, the, the money plays a role in, in these decisions often, but still, I, I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather see these games played in home arenas. Yeah. Uh, to that exact point here. So, uh, event organizers is putting this on and these teams, uh, I don't know if this ever got reported and they're getting, I think they're getting like. 500k a piece which is a significant amount of money right. uh so that goes into it as well and yeah there's contracts and all stuff i won't bore everyone all right as we wrap uh let's just pick it for fun i know you're gonna take gonzaga you guys i'm you got him ranked higher than ucla um i too will take gonzaga in this game but i'm not convinced gonzaga is going to get out of this week without a scratch because it's got duke later in the week we'll obviously talk about that as well in the next podcast so give me gonzaga Ah oh, man, I think I really, really hope this is a game that lives up to the hype. But give me Gonzaga along the lines of 78, 75. I think this will be fun, pretty close. Uh, coincidentally enough, didn't do this intentionally, but they beat them by three last time these teams met. I'll have them winning by three again when they beat the Bruins. How about you? Yeah, Gonzaga 84, UCLA 80, something like that. Um, you know, hopefully they can they can play this game in the 80s. And, um, you know, Juzang shows out, Drew Timmy shows out, Hami Haikez, Chet Holmgren. You got some real high level, you know, future NBA guys in this in this game. And, uh, you know, hopefully, like you said, it lives up to expectations. You ready to get out of here? It sounds like the cops are coming. I was going to say, they come, are they coming for you right now? I haven't done anything. You sure? Not recently. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. My, my, my criminal behavior is largely in my past. Largely being the key word here. Uh, yeah, let's get out and then we will have a pot. We got to figure out whether this is going to be a super late night Tuesday or early Wednesday. We'll let you know or you'll know when it's in the pod when it's in the pod feed. But um, we have a very interesting and fun next 48 hours here and uh, can't can't wait for it. We got Maui getting going. It's going to be weird to see that in Vegas, by the way. But hell, good hoop. Can't wait to see it. And uh, we'll recap UCLA Gonzaga along with anything else in the preview. Uh, the Thanksgiving stuff is Battle for Atlantis. We'll start later in the week. Let the record show I vote for late Tuesday night as opposed to early Wednesday. So if you if you wake up Wednesday morning and there's not a new episode, you can blame Deadlick. He will have vetoed me. We will we will soon find out. A, a, any anything that we can uh, we can do to make the listeners happy, we will certainly try. But let's just see how this goes. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Darius Allen, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And if you're not subscribed to YouTube yet, please go do that. Hit the bell button so that you can get I still have never gotten a word, not one. But they say it works, all right? They say it works. So hit the bell button so you can get, maybe you'll get lucky. You'll get the alert when a new video drops. Smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies because that's important too. Please do that. We will talk to you again either late Tuesday or early Wednesday. Until then, take care.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.